So Larry King. I get an opportunity to interview Larry King. Uh, Larry King is Larry King. Larry King's like a, he's like a basic element. He's a basic media element. Uh, it's like a, he's one of the things that seems to have always existed uh, as he is. He's, he's pure. He's Larry King. I got the opportunity. I didn't. Uh, I figured, okay, I'll do it. Is he coming over? No, he's not. I got to go to his house. Okay, I'll go to his house. Uh, it, it didn't really. It, it didn't really turn out uh, the way I wanted it to, uh, for for reasons that will become clear. Uh, I don't think he knew who I was, and uh, that's fine. Look, I'm humble. I get it. A lot of people don't know who I am, but I was going to his house, and there was an issue when I got to his house, and uh, this is what happened. Uh, at the door. Hello, how are you? How are you, Mr. King? You're late. What do you mean? It's supposed to be 10 o'clock. I had 10.15. How long are we going to be? All right, let's go. Well, I was going to do an hour, but you don't... Maybe 45 minutes. All right. Sorry. Wherever you want. Where are you going to be in there? Okay. If, you, if you're not into it, I don't have to do it. No, I'll do it. I'll just take the setup. Five minutes. So, so that's what I was dealing with. That, that, was, that was the tone of the situation. Yeah, I wasn't late. I got the information, but like right away I was like, oh man, you know, we can do this another time or not at all if that's what you want. You know, I, I just want to have a conversation. So that's what I dealt with at the door. And now, and, that, and then I was sitting in his living room. I was just sitting there. And uh, just waiting for him. I set up. Took me the few minutes that it, I told him it would take him. And I'm just sitting there. And uh, here, here was. Uh, and, and some of you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to myself <laughs> if I'm in the car and I got the mic on, or I'm in someone's living room waiting to talk to them. So here's, here's me uh, talking to me apparently uh, while I was waiting for Larry. Fuck. So I'm sitting here in Larry King's house. Was, he thought I was supposed to be here at 10. I came at 10.15 because that's what I had, and he was mad. So I told him it would take me five minutes to set up. That was five minutes ago, so I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen here. But um, I guess we'll see. I'm just waiting. I told him we didn't have to do it. Uh But uh, that's that's where I'm at right now. I don't know if he's making me wait as punishment. But I don't know that this is... Uh, if this is going to uh, work out. Because I'm, uh, you know... I can get angry too. Hello, sir. I apologize for the miscommunication. Mark, right? It is Mark. Oh, you want me here? Sure. Okay. It's nice to meet you. Same here. And I apologize for being late. It's all right. It's all right. Uh-huh. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be all right. Yeah. So, as a as a guy who interviews people, I'm a guy who interviews people, and uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't have a particular style. But for you, what, what is it that you're looking for immediately? Information. Yeah. Uh, 
I think the purpose of an interview is to draw the guest out. Yeah. Listen to answers. I think listening is as important as what the question you ask. I think uh, you have to be intensely curious. I can't give someone curious. I couldn't teach interviewing. Sure. You have to be intensely curious to begin with. I'm insatiably curious. Been that way all my life. When I was a kid, I'd get on a bus and ask the bus driver why he wanted to drive a bus. Uh, You don't want to sit next to me on an airplane. I'm asking questions all the time. So basically, my 56 years in the business, they're paying me for what I would be doing anyway. So you were the kind of kid that, uh, you know, you walk down the street, you'd see a, a guy just working or you walk into a diner and you want to know what... what why they do, what yeah. they do. I, I was a why kind of person, who, what, where, when, why. I listened to answers. I left my ego at the door. Um, I think if my whole career, if I used the word I five times, it would be a lot. I, I never felt I was important I, except as a transmitter. I was a conduit to the audience. Mm-hmm. I try to ask the kind of questions that people I thought would be interested in. I, um, when did you realize that, though? When did you understand that about yourself, that you were, were going to let your ego get out of the way? I don't know when it happened. I, uh, I thought I'd be a sports announcer. I was always an avid sports fan. I wanted to be a broadcaster all my life. I never wanted anything else. When did you first realize that? <clears throat> I think when I was six years old. I would uh, listen to the radio and imitate radio announcers. I would. Who was your favorite radio announcer? Oh, I liked Red Barber doing the Dodgers. I yeah. thought Godfrey was a hero. I got to work with both of them later in life. And where'd you I grow would, up? I was Brooklyn, yeah. New York. And I would go around to radio stations. I would go on watch radio shows. I used to pretend I was an announcer. Yeah. Honest, I would go into elevators in buildings where there were radio stations, and I would say to the elevator operator, you know, third floor, please. And I just wanted to be an announcer. I, I, I had a bunch of odd jobs until about age 22 when a friend recommended I go to Miami. I thought I'd be a sports announcer. I was a disc jockey newsman, started on a small station. You grew up, and in then the, one day, yeah, uh, I was uh, hired to do a show at a restaurant, Pumperdick's restaurant. I did a morning, I did my own dish jockey show, and then I'd go to the restaurant and do an hour show from the restaurant. And one day, Bobby Darren walked in, and "Mac the Knife" was the number one song in America. I had no idea he would be coming, yeah, and uh, so I couldn't plan for him. And I got to like that. I liked the impromptuness of it. I liked. Uh, off the top of the head, I I like being to start cold. I would like to do interviews where someone walked into the room. I didn't know who they were. Sure. And then st- famous people started to come in. Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. Ed, Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Oh, I was cool. Danny Thomas. A slew of famous people. And then the Miami Herald started to write about it. So I fell into interviewing. I never really thought about my style much. I never, I never said to myself, I'm going to leave my ego at the door. I just felt that I was so curious about what the guest was, that the guest counted to me. Uh, I wasn't irrelevant, but I'd be there tomorrow. Sure. My name was on the show. Sure. So the guest counted. Did you ever get uh, intimidated or frightened at, at times during interviews where, where you didn't know if it was going your way or, or where you felt like you were... Uh, the only time I was ever intimidated was the first time I did Frank Sinatra because I'd been such a fan of his and Jackie Gleason arranged for the interview... And I was nervous, but I got over that in a minute, mm-hmm. uh, in a minute. Um, first time in the White House, a little kind of in awe of the White House. But that goes away because you, I learned a long time, in fact, I learned my first day on the air, that the uh, person 
whose show it is, mm-hmm. is in control. Mm-hmm. So whether I'm at the White House, whether it's the president or the mayor or the carpenter sure. or Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. I'm in control. <laughs> you're in control of yeah. this interview, not me. Right. So once you know that, once yeah. you know you're in control, there's nothing to be nervous about. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay, because you're in control. And also, don't you find that when you talk to people that they become people very quickly, d- despite what you may think of them or their public personality? Oh, sure. The, the mic disappears. The camera disappears. I never thought about how am I doing. Yeah. I never thought about yesterday's show or tomorrow's show. Today, I go always in the moment. Yeah. I felt right in the moment, the moment I was doing it. The first day I was on the air, I was very nervous. And nothing was coming out of my mouth. And I can remember it to this day. It was May of 1957, a beautiful really? morning. And I couldn't think of anything to say. And I thought I'd, my whole career was over. <laughs> and the general manager kicked open the door and he said, uh, this is a communications business. Yeah. You better communicate. And what I did was, <laughs> swear to God, I yeah. turned on the microphone right. and said, yeah. this is my first day on the air. I've wanted this all my life. I've been sitting here for three, four minutes, scared to death. Yeah. So I just want to let you know that I'm nervous. <laughs> so what I did then, yeah. I, that, this is in retrospect. Right. I brought the audience into my dilemma. Sure. Okay. Then nothing could go wrong after that because if I miscued a record, yeah. goofed up a commercial, right. it's my first day. Right? right. And they knew it. So once they know that. Yeah. What am I going to be nervous about? Right. Because I've taken them into my situation. Right. And that was like uh, the last time you used I. That was yeah, it. Yeah, that was one of the last. That also, I've never, uh, after that, I, was, yeah. I got to say I was never nervous again. Uh, my first day on television, I wasn't nervous. I do a lot of speaking. I do comedy tours. I saw some I, comedy, yeah. I tell funny stories. I, I like all of it. And I've never gone on a stage frightened because I know from that first day. It ain't brain surgery. Yeah. If the story's funny, they're going to laugh. Right. If they're not going to laugh, it ain't the end of the world. It, that's a hard one to learn, though. No? I mean, did, I don't did, know that you learned it. I just... I, I just you were uh, able to frame it that way I, early I, I don't have the confidence in life that I have in broadcasting or on a stage because I think it's a control issue. Mm-hmm. I have two young boys here, 14 and 13. One just started high school. One's still in junior high school. Yeah. I had to get up this morning and take one to work, and one didn't want to have breakfast, and I had to drop them off. And now I don't know what my wife's going to say today. And then I got a lunch to go to, and I, but I can't control that. However, yeah, if I were broadcasting today, right, I can control that. So the best part of my day is when I'm working. The easiest part of my day is yeah. by far when I'm working. Yeah, because I can't control life, but I can control the situations of radio, television, speaking. I'm in control. Sure. How is it for you now bringing up young kids? Well, I I have three grown. Yeah. I have a stepson. Yeah. And then I have two children. I'm the age of a grandfather. Right. But I'm a father. Yeah. So I go to to baseball games. I got to take kids to school. Grandfathers don't do that. Right. Uh, Someone said the best part about being a grandfather is you get to go home. (laughs) You don't get (laughs) I don't get to go home. Um, Is this the most hands-on you've ever been with all your kids? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, because I have more time with them. Yeah. Is it rewarding? I'm not running around making it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's a good and bad to it. The great part is to watch them grow and to see they're both very athletes Mm -hmm. and uh, both kind of bright very different uh, mm-hmm. night and day, except mm-hmm. for being good athletes. Mm-hmm. There's not one thing they have in common. 
Definitely. And not one. Yeah. And uh, so watching that develop, <clears throat> and then you think of your age, you know, and I, I was, I, we go to all the Dodger games and sitting the other night with my son, and I, I had a vision that he'd be playing with the Dodgers, and he's 14. And then I was thinking to myself, oh, wait a second. Logically, if he went in after high school and he played a couple of years in the minors, maybe he'd come up to the majors when he's 24. Yeah. I would be then going to be 90. <laughs> so my fear was, would I be around? Right. And so you had the problem of aging is you want to be around to see him grow up. And yeah. You hope you're going to be around. Yeah. Was it was it your choice to, to have kids at this age? I didn't think I'd have. I just married a younger woman, and uh, she's much younger than I, and... Children develop, you know. Children came, but yeah, it's a gift. It is a gift, and I uh, watched both born. I didn't watch my other children born. They didn't allow you in. Well, wasn't there? Didn't you have a son that you didn't really meet for a long time? Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Well, I, w- I was married to this woman for a short period of time, and we broke up. She said she was pregnant. I didn't know if it was mine. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I learned I had a child, and he was in his early thirties. And we got to meet, and he's as if I raised him all my life. It's, really? Yeah. So there was no contention initially? No, it was amazing. And he met his brother and sister, and um, uh, he grew up with my name, you uh-huh. know, Larry King Jr. He grew up in Miami. He watched me broadcast Dolphin games. Before he knew you were his father? Oh, he knew it was my father, but he had a stepfather. Right. Was, Why did he wait so long to, to meet you, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it just happened. And huh. uh, then his mother was dying. Mm. And she called and said, you know, you have a son. You ought to meet him. And he's about to get married. And I went down to Florida. I then was living in Washington. I sent a lawyer down first, you know, to, and he called me up and he said, you can take a DNA, but, but you're going to be throwing away money because this is your kid. And I went down. Obviously, it was my kid. And now he's, you know, he's like, Nothing. Yes. Yeah. Like I feel like I raised him. Yeah. So it, it, it's a, it's a great story. Yeah. And it's one. Um. I don't know if I'm proud of it that I, you know, I sh- did I shirk responsibility. I wasn't sure I even had a kid. Yeah. But she said I she had that I. Had but you didn't kid. know. I I know the new not new. Right. Right. But, right. And does he have kids now? Oh yeah, I have three grandchildren. He has twins. That's that's a good. And then my son has daughters. My daughter's not married. Uh How did you grow up? My father died when I was nine and a half. I grew up with a bunch of friends, three of whom are still my best friends. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, went to Dodger games. Jewish neighborhood at the time? Yeah, Jewish and Italian. Yeah. We didn't know what a Protestant was. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Were you religious? The family? uh, I was bar mitzvahed. Uh, My mother kept a kosher home. Oh, yeah. But I lost that a uh, long time ago. I, uh, My father's death changed my life. I was very close to him, and then I lost interest in school. I never went to college. My younger brother went through law school. Um, Is he still around? Oh, yeah. Yeah? He's 76. You guys yeah. got good genes. Uh, surprisingly, because my father died at 46 of a sudden heart attack, huh. and uh, my mother lived to 76. I always thought that I would die at 46 because he died at 46. He smoked, I smoked. Oh, uh, is that, isn't that interesting when you're young? Lucky, I had a lucky heart attack. I was uh, 53. I was smoking three packs a day. You miss them? The cigarettes? Uh, no. No. Uh, but if I had an hour to live, I'd smoke yeah. <laughs> uh, because it was a great habit. Uh, however, I got scared to death and uh, never smoked again. I had a heart attack on in February of 1987. 
And uh, through this driving home, my daughter drove me home from the hospital. And the cigarettes that I'd gone to the hospital with that were in my pocket, Mm -hmm. I threw into the Potomac River and uh, never smoked again and never reached for a cigarette nor wanted one. Now, a psychiatrist friend of mine told me that what happened to me, fortunately, was I got scared to death, so much so that if I had, I never chewed gum or held toothpicks, and that if I had a desire... Yeah, the fright in me was so great yeah. that it went away. So I, I didn't reach for cigarettes in my pocket. That's spectacular. I, 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 it was unbelievable. I was. I don't even take credit for it. I was. It was by osmosis. The heart attack. What did, I mean, when you had uh, the bypass and everything else. Five months. Five, I had the heart attack in February and the bypass in December. Like, what was the feeling after you get a bypass? It seems like I don't know anyone that's had one, but there's a vulnerability that you feel, a fragility. Well, you feel a. Uh, First, the, the 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 amazing thing is you have the weeps, uh, yeah. because uh, a stranger moved your heart. Uh, they, That's they, a real thing. Yeah, they move your heart because they put you on a heart lung machine. Sure. The whole process of they, the, now a lot of it's much simpler. Yeah, uh, this was you know in 1987, but I'm still close with my surgeon. Yeah, uh, I started the Larry King Cardiac Foundation. We help people who can't afford to to get heart help. Uh-huh. And he's the same surgeon. He did Letterman, Cronkite. He did Regis. Uh, but you get choked up about things? No, right what after? happened is, yeah. after a couple of weeks, I went down to Florida. And this was funny. I was on the plane with Alexander Haig. Yeah. And uh, we are in the first class, and he had had heart surgery. Uh-huh. And I started to, to cry. I didn't know why I was crying. <laughs> and the stewardess came over, and he just said, don't pay any attention. It's the weeps, and it it must be the vulnerability. Uh-huh. What happened was, and then I got real healthy. I I lost weight. I most people when they start stop smoking, gain weight. I lost weight. I took care of myself. I watched what I ate. Still, yeah, I don't exercise as much as I used to, but I walk a lot. Any mm-hmm. chance I get to walk, I walk. And the food, you, you you're careful. I with sort food. of. I, I I'm not super careful, but sure. I, I'm I'm five eleven. I weigh one hundred sixty. That's good. I was one hundred ninety. Yeah, that's the most I weigh. Was one hundred ninety. I think when I had the heart attack, I weighed one hundred. So you stopped going to the deli. I have my own. Uh, we have our own bagel store now. It's called Brooklyn Water Bagel. It's oh, that's a you franchise. Well, I got the Beverly Hills uh-huh, franchise. Uh-huh. I'm their spokesperson. So in return, I got the Beverly Hills franchise. So you don't need they, to go to Nate Nell's anymore? No, I go there well, once a month for some matzo brai because uh, matzo brai was one of my favorite foods. Did your mother make it? Sure. Yeah, my mother made it. It was nothing like Jewish cooking. Uh, I'm st- in fact, uh, a chef was here the other day. We did a TV show for uh-huh. my internet show. Which chef? Uh, S- um, Stone. Uh-huh. Chris Stone. Uh-huh. And... Um, uh, he was here, and he was you know, going over all the delicacies uh-huh. that he cooks and everything. Yeah. And I said to him, um, oh, are you going to cook a meat? Yeah. And I said, I like it. Well done. Uh-huh. And he goes, I-, I can't cook that. <laughs> I said, well, just keep cooking it. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I will not yeah. cook that. Right. And I said, why won't you cook that? Because he said, that's not food. Right. That's, that's, that's like a, a container you're eating. A, right. I said, no. It's my food. Uh-huh. I like, I hate red meat. Yeah. I was raised, I just raised, I can't stand to see meat that's red. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm kosher cooking. I like, I have no religion at all. Yeah. My wife's a devout Mormon. 
Devout. I, uh, devout. She goes to church every Sunday and the children, I we had an agreement when we got married since yeah. I have no religion. Yeah. Uh, that she could raise the children. I think it's good ethics. Is she my raising boy, them Mormon? Yeah. My boy goes to Catholic school, Notre Dame High School. And I'm glad they get grounded in a good faith. I have no... I lost my faith in God a long time ago. and uh, Why? The more I interviewed religious people. Yeah? But was there a moment? I never got answers. No. <laughs> no, I know. You know I, <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't tell you for sure that well, there was... Well, uh, I'm a person of... Yeah. Uh, I... I have to know, no, and uh, if you're a messenger of God, I would ask them, all right, you know the old story, God gave man free will, so uh-huh. he couldn't stop Hitler. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, all right, I'll buy that, he couldn't stop Hitler. How about Katrina? Uh-huh. That wasn't man's wish, right? Man didn't start Katrina. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they don't answer, so they always say the same, uh, we, uh, we question not the ways of the Lord. Come on. Right. I question the ways of the Lord. Then I remember when I was a kid, while I'm a social Jew, I love the, I like being Jewish. I like Jewish food, Jewish humor. I gravitate toward Jewish people. I right. Like, I like Israel. I like the, but the God of the Old Testament, I didn't like him. Uh, slay my enemies. Come sure. on. Sure. Sure. I thought he was barbaric. Yeah. And I didn't like him. Yeah. And he wanted me to fear him. Yeah. And you're teaching me love and fear at the same time. And the Christian faith, I could never bar. No, could never but what about faith without God? Is it possible? Faith in what? In just a human's goodness? I oh, mean, I, I guess I, I, don't know, I wouldn't call it faith. You know? Yeah. I think it uh, probably came from the Bible. The, the do unto others is, is the only law you need. Yeah. Right. Right. If you, in fact, you don't need any law in the books, but do unto others. Do unto others covers cheating, income tax, red light, murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a Come good on. one. Everything yeah. is covered. Don't lie. I think is what. Do unto uh, others as you would have them do yeah. unto you. Don't pass the red light. Yeah. Right. Don't cheat on your income tax. Yeah. Don't screw around with people. Well, I think Carlin did a big bit on the. Yeah. On I know. The, yeah. 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 George was a friend of mine, and uh, we went over that a lot about. Well, you know, there's that great joke about the rabbi, you know, in terms, because I, I was brought up Jewish as well, and uh, I, don't, I don't really believe in God. But, you know, the joke about the rabbi walking down the street and it starts raining, and then the, the water is raising up about two feet, and some guys come by in, uh, you know, in a car, and they're like, get in the car, we'll take you to safety. The rabbi's like, no, no, God will save me. Then the water's up to his neck, and he's treading water a little bit, and some guys come by in a boat and say, rabbi, get in the boat. You know, and he goes, don't worry, God will save me. And then now he can't tread water anymore. It's so high. The buildings are covered with water. Helicopter comes down. They throw a ladder out. I said, Rabbi, get on the ladder. And the rabbi goes, no, God will save me. And he drowns. And he gets to heaven. And he says to God, why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent a car. I sent a boat. I sent- <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky thing yeah. how you interpret that stuff. I know, but I, 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 well, I, I, you know, I say when your time is up, your time is up. Well, if you're on an airplane, yeah. what if the pilot's time is up? <laughs> You know, why I didn't have anything to do with that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe you're all... You can't say Jesus Christ. Right. Which is, by the way, you know how he got his name. How? Uh, it was it was in the manger. Uh-huh. And uh, they were trying to figure out a name. Yeah. And Joseph stood up yeah. and hit his head on the top. And he said, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. That stuck. It that stuck. Stinks. That I like that. Got a rhythm. Yeah, it does. You know, got a little Five catch letters to it. in the first word, six in the second. <laughs> So the bagel joint, 
Was this a was this a reaction to the lack of ability to find a good bagel in this? They town? came to me and they had this idea. They started in Florida, a very good company. They're franchising all over the country, and they said these we make the water. They make the New York City's the best water in America, and they make the water in a lab. You see it in the restaurant. They mm-hmm. show you the machines. Oh, really? To ma- to meet to match the New York water. Uh, to match the New York water, so they can boil is, the bagel which in is there. The equivalent okay, and water yeah. is the difference. That's right. The the theme is the differences in the water. So, so the bagel, everyone who comes in says it remind they're back in Brooklyn. Really? Yeah, it's great bagels. Great oh, bagels. I, I, it's nice to know that. Do you think, and now this is the question, do you think that because your father you know, passed away at such a young age that part of your, your interest and in, in need to connect with people and know about them was some sort of search? That might that? be true. I, I never questioned that psychologically. I, I, uh, I know I lost something in not having a father. Because all my friends had fathers, mm-hmm. and I was like the boy without a father. Mm-hmm. So maybe that led to the need for. To, I don't know where it came from. It, the love to broadcast did not, because I wanted to be a broadcaster before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and your first job was just on a radio. Was it a music show? It was a. I was a disc jockey. It was an all kind of station, small station. We had news, sports. I did everything, but I did. I did a disc jockey show in the morning, and then I did in the afternoon. I did sports and I did news, and you know, you learn the business from the ground up. Yeah. And then I got this interview show at a restaurant about two years right. later, and that's when I started. To, did you? Were you one of those guys that had to go all over the country at times to chase no, the no, work? No, it was all no. in Miami. I, my whole career was twenty years in Miami. Then I got the national radio show. We were the first network talk show. And then I always did local television. I did television as much as I did radio. Probably two years of radio and then television started, and I always did both. And then Ted Turner came along, and I'd interviewed him a few times, and he uh, he liked my work, and he uh, had CNN when they were five years old. I started on their fifth anniversary, and he liked me and hired me, and I didn't know what CNN was. Yeah. I didn't have it in my home. <laughs> <laughs> but it sure took off. And, uh, and that was it. That was the game changer, huh? For oh, you? Yeah, sure. Well, the radio was a kickoff because I got a lot of good write ups and a lot of stories about that radio show. And that was. Why was it so. Why'd you get so much attention? Because it was the first national network talk show. And okay. It was the beginning of talk radio. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of credit as the beginning of talk radio in America. And you like what it evolved into? No. Because it became a soapbox screaming yelling idiots and a lot of what i hear is pop nonsense yeah political crazies. no real dis- yeah no real discussion yeah, political crazies mm-hmm. you know npr is good radio mm-hmm. uh but you know the the limbaughs and these yeah, guys yeah. are just uh, playing with a loose deck yeah and a lot of it's an act so i know yeah it's a it's a they're uh they're hot there's some of good bro I came to respect Howard Stern. Yeah, sure. I used to, when I was earlier on, I didn't buy a lot of that act, but now I I understand his maturity, and he's matured. Yeah, I think so. I think and that's I true. Think he's a very good broadcaster. But I was raised by the Godfreys, and the, it was cla- uh, whenever someone curses on the radio, it still drives me nuts. Does it? Yeah. It just doesn't fit right, right? It, it almost it's, vi- right. it's like a violation. Can we pause a second if sure. I had to go to the men's room? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> when you're older. I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, good. Um, 
what I, I think what I want to talk about a little bit is is your, your relationship with Jackie Gleason. How did he change a, your life? When Jackie moved down to Miami to yeah. broadcast, I went up to New York and came down on the train with him and uh, did interviews with him on a train. And then we had a big welcome Jackie to Miami dinner and I am seated. So I sat up on the dais with him and uh, we got to be friendly and he'd call into my radio show and then he came on my television show. And he saw, he didn't mentor me, but he, he liked me. And I made a big switch. I went from a Channel 10 to Channel 4. Uh-huh. Went from the ABC affiliate to the CBS affiliate. And he did all my promos. I mean, he was just terrific to me. He got Sinatra for me. Yeah. Sinatra owed him a favor, and that was the return of the favor. Uh, he was a pretty, like, uh, huge yeah. personality, right? He was larger than life. Yeah. Know, everybody was pal. Yeah. Hey, pal. I'm he uh, was at his house, and yeah. he, would, he was gregarious. He was, yeah. called himself a roaming Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, he was <laughs> thought a lot about death, and he, the night before he died, uh, got a call from his PR guy, yeah. and he made a list of people to call and say goodbye, which is very touching. Mm. He had, uh, Jackie understood uh, human behavior, he liked my curiosity, and he 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 was a compelling person to be around because he understood poor, he understood being down, understood being broke, mm-hmm. and he lived life larger than life. Mm-hmm. And he uh, I, he did. I, I loved the moment. I loved being live in the moment, and he. Appreciate that he worked live most of his life in television. I worked live most of my life in Brookhead. Anyway, they were doing the Honeymooners once, a live musical for an hour at the Miami Beach Convention Center, and it was Saturday night. And I was in the wings watching mm-hmm. this show. And he comes off stage for a minute, and uh, he says to me, "Call Raimondos," and. Uh, Tell him I want the spaghetti, but I want the La Dolce spaghetti. And the guy yells, 10 seconds. He says, I want that wine. Five seconds, Jackie. And they were doing this, and then suddenly he goes, what, Norton? (laughs) He went from me, knew right where his line was, right into the scene. Yeah. And I went, wow. Yeah. He was just so, he never rehearsed. He had this big fat guy that was a friend of his that did all the scenes Mm -hmm. in rehearsals, and he'd watch that. And so he knew all the movements. So he had a guy stand in for him. Correct. And mm-hmm. so when you appeared with him, the first time you saw him, like Bing Crosby said, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> and they do a skit, and then yeah. suddenly the night is live, yeah. Jackie would appear. And do you think he did that to keep it fresh for everybody? Yeah, to keep it fresh, but he knew where the, yeah, where yeah, knew yeah. the layout. He right, knew yeah, the, yeah. Couldn't speak, couldn't understand a note of music, yet conducted orchestras for those Capitol albums. Mm-hmm. Had an instinct. Mm-hmm. And he understood the broadcast instinct. Well, he sort of was a pioneer in television, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Those, those, the Honeymooners and those early shows that Jackie did, the characters he did. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the various ones, Reggie Van Gleeson, uh-huh. the bartender, and uh-huh. the poor soul. And, and he, he, just, he just was a tremendous guy to be around, and it was very sad when we lost him. And the, the problem with this, as youth goes on, my kids don't know him. Yeah. 
you know, and you mention these names to yeah. people, and anybody under 30, they don't know Jackie Gleason. Isn't that, isn't that sad and amazing? Yeah. Now, we knew, I knew people that pre was before my time. I knew the greats. Yeah. Like, who are you thinking? You know, when I, I knew what I was, I knew Lowell Thomas, H.V. Mm-hmm. Caltemore, and Edward R. Murrow. I knew mm-hmm. these things. But these kids today, they don't know Vietnam. Uh huh. You know what I'm talking about. There's no, there's no real historical context anymore. No, for because things. of 24-hour news and yeah. eat it up, spit it out. Uh, and also the internet. Nothing has any context. I mean, it's just pictures. It's just bits and pieces. It's in and out, and yeah. everybody's yeah. a journalist. Yeah, everybody blogs. Right. People. I mean, the Twitter and yeah. Now there's a plus to that. Yeah. And uh, uh, Twitter could start a revolution. Sure. Um. Uh, there's no privacy. That's terrible. However, yeah. the plus in that is they would have never caught the guys who started those blow-ups in Boston. If it hadn't been for cameras everywhere. Invading privacy. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's a, it's a weird, slippery slope, so, right? Yeah, and that's what o- Obama faces. Yeah. In that, where do you draw the line yeah. between... When can I know what you're doing? If I, f- it's a different world, right? We know that sure. somebody's going to come up with a nuclear weapon that's in your one hand, and you could bring it into the country and blow yeah. up a building. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do about that fear while you want to uphold the Constitution? And I'm a constitutionalist, so I don't want you invading my privacy. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, <laughs> see, there's always on the other hand. However, <laughs> Hitler made a famous speech. In 1937, in which he said Germany was doing away with warrants. Yeah. Uh, When we come to your home, if the police come to your home, if you have nothing to hide, what do you worry about? But we're in great danger from enemy within in this country, and so why not let us look in your home if you have nothing? And the German people bought that. Yeah. I would bet that if you made that same speech in America today... 30% 30% might say, yeah, well, I got nothing to hide. Right. I bet you're right. Oh, you're not me. Yeah. You're not coming into my house. Without well, the one thing the Constitution protects is that no matter who's in charge, you have those rights. See, that's a, that becomes the tricky thing. It's when like right you now you've got a good when, guy in charge, but when, when they come looking for Jews again. When do you give up your rights? Right. right. That, that famous guy who said, first Hitler said he was only the communists. Right. Then he said it was only the Jews. Yeah. And then he said it was only the Catholics. Yeah. And then he said it was me. Yeah. Right. Yep. So when you th- but the weird thing is, is I went to you know Google the the directions for here, and you know because you sold the house, you bought the house. It's on record as your house. You know, and I you know you have that same problem. It's weird. Tour bus right? goes every five minutes. The right tour there. Tour bus goes by. Nothing you can front. do about it. Nothing. People take pictures. Does it piss Ellen, you off? Ellen DeGeneres lives two blocks up the yeah. road. She had no idea about the tour bus. Yeah. She used to live way up on top of a hill. They never got up that high. Uh-huh. Now she lives on a street sort of near the flats. Yeah. And she's going nuts. Is she? She's furious? I, yeah, she's mad, but nothing you could do it. It's a public street. Right. And they go by and they take pictures. And I, go, I wave to them. I'm nice. They're nice. But what am I going to do? Be mad at people? What are they going to do? <laughs> Bomb the house. One night, my little boy, when he was 10, yeah. went out front and said, yeah, he's in the bathroom. I want to wait a minute. <laughs> did, did, did they? <laughs> they waited? They waited. Oh, they sometimes see my car come back and they make U-turns. <laughs> well, that's funny to watch. But that's, uh, that's you know, eh, the Truman said, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. So I chose a business in which 
if you do well, you get well known, mm-hmm. and you pay a price. Mm-hmm. So I think you owe something back for that price. In other words, the ball player owes the kid the autograph. Yeah. Uh, there's no law that says he has to give it to him, but he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you were a ball player because somebody gave you that talent, whether it was God or whatever. Uh-huh. You had this talent. I was given this gift of this voice or this curiosity. Who, who gave me? I had this great Indian Swami tell me once. Yeah. Who, who gave you this gift? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's a good way to live. It's impossible to live this way, but he said... You don't have to believe in God or anything. When you open your eyes in the morning, did you earn that? It's a gift, right? Mm. So give thanks to whatever. What do you believe in? <laughs> you didn't. You you have the right to open your eyes in the morning. Yeah. So give thanks for that, and then give thanks for everything that happens to you during the day. So if it's raining, yeah. So what? Yeah. You know, you <laughs> woke up. Yeah, life's a gift. Yeah, gratitude. So, if I can have the skill to hit a baseball and someone's paying me $5 million to hit a baseball and a nine-year-old yeah. wants me to sign an autograph, I'm too busy for that? Are you crazy? <laughs> so I'm not going to smile for a tour bus when I'm living in this freaking house that if my mother and father saw this house, they would faint? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I never, you never forgot. And that's what I liked about Jackie. Gleason told me a great story once. Yeah. The first appearance Elvis Presley ever made was on the Jackie Gleason summer rerun show yeah. hosted by Tommy Dorsey. Uh-huh. And in order for an act to appear on the show, Gleason wanted to see them. Yeah. So he saw Presley came in, like audition, mm-hmm. and he called him over and he said, listen, kid, you're going to be famous. You're going to be real big. I want to give you a bit of advice. Go out. Don't stay in. Go out. Talk to people. Because if you stay in, you're going to be the loneliest guy in the world. Hmm. Jackie went out. Mm-hmm. Always uh, socializing. Hello, how are you? Presley yeah. hid in the house. And look what happened. Died on the toilet. Yeah. Alone. Right. Alone. Sad. Jackie went out. Yeah. He had a good time, Jackie. Jackie lived. Jackie had a good time. <laughs> yeah. Jackie, he knew how to drink. Mm-hmm. And he knew how to... He wasn't a carouser like with women and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He was, but he was. You like to stay up and party. Uh, he was genuine. He was afraid to fly. Yeah. But he flew yeah. to work with Laurence Olivier in London. Uh-huh. They did a two-character show for HBO. I don't know why HBO doesn't show it more often. Great story. I'm trying Gleason to. loved the script. Yeah. Olivier played an Englishman whose yeah. wife had just died right right i kind of remember this. and the american gleason went over for the funeral and gleason had had a 25-year affair with that man's wife oh, and they're yeah. in a bar yeah and the whole hour is just the two of them was it great oh, it was great and that's why he flew oh yeah. to well, work with olivier uh, yeah out of all the people that you've known in your life and talked to who do you, outside of gleason who do you who do you find yourself thinking about and missing the most Oh, I'm not missing. I've interviewed so many. But me have, seven presidents yeah. and Sinatra was a lot of was interesting to be around because he was so complicated. Oh yeah, it, oh Frank was. Did he not have a, have a good time? Frank was unhappy. Yeah, why? Because there was never enough. Nothing or? sat never nothing satisfied him. Uh, when he was in a sad moment, like you said to me once, he said, "You know, 
all my friends are dead. All my friends are dead. It was like, it was so sad. You know? Oh God! But he was never totally happy, except when he was on stage. Yeah, you don't think about it. Yeah, you yeah. don't think about it. And yeah. it's, 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 it's understanding his phrasing, and um, if he liked you, mm-hmm. you could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't like you, you could do no right. Mm-hmm. He was there was no grays. Yeah, not, was, life was black or white. Uh huh. And I was lucky enough that he liked me, as Rickles would say. Well, I said to Don, well, what if he didn't like you? And Don would go, you, you have relatives in New Jersey? <laughs> He's great. How's he doing? Are you personal Rickles friends? Rickles is all right. Yeah, I yeah. talk to him every once in a while. I'll see him every six months or so. We run into each other. He's an old, different. He's still working. Yeah. He's 86 years old. His yeah. son died. I was sad. Yeah, I heard about that. Larry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Don... Don and Mel Brooks and all of them. I interviewed Mel. That was, was great. It was at Caesar's house a couple weeks ago. Mel they was there. there Sid's yeah. not talking. Right. right. You know, oh, yeah. So you're one of the guys that goes up there to Sid's Mel, house? Mel goes. I right. don't go. No? Mel and, and Carl Reiner have breakfast every day at the same restaurant in yeah. Westwood. And they're still a riot together. Yeah, oh, that's great. They're great. 2,000-year-old man still the funniest. Still happens. Funniest album. They're living it now. Yeah, they are. They're... Well, Mel is the funniest person I've ever known. Yeah. Because um, he's the classic. Woody Allen is in that, but not as broad. Uh-huh. Uh, Mel is the classic Jewish humorist. Oh, absolutely. A uh, 2,000-year-old man, if you listen to it carefully, was genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played it with him once. Right. I went up to uh, the New York World's Fair in 1964. The World's Fair was in New York. In Flushing, right? Flushing, yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. Queens. And I interviewed Mel there. Uh-huh. That's where I met him. Mm-hmm. And we played the 2,000-year-old man. And he'd go into it like that. I said, do you want to play 2,000-year-old man? I you said, just okay. improvised it? Oh, I just said, yeah, yeah. we're here at the World's Fair. Yeah. What do you think? You're 2,000 years old. He goes, fair. <laughs> I go, fair? Yeah. Look at all you see. Here. It's fair. <laughs> and then he said to me, were you at the first fair? Yeah. <laughs> No, the first fair, 183 people came, the whole world. <laughs> and uh, we held it in a ravine, yeah. in a ravine, yeah. at the bottom of a ravine, and people rolled into the fair, which was one of the exhibits. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what could have been, well, look, at we have a monorail. You have yeah, monorail? We yeah. had the burning bush. <laughs> we thought it was a ride. <laughs> but his best line of all was, what was the, I asked him, what was the big hit? Of the fair in 003. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the big hit was Moses. <laughs> Moses parted the Red Sea. He did it two times Friday, three times on Saturday, yeah. four times every Sunday, six drachmas. <laughs> 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 and he had a press agent who told him, You keep doing this, Moses, I'll get you 10, 11 pages in the Old Testament. <laughs> and that, that mind yeah. that can go that quick. Yeah, so quick. And, uh, you not know where he's going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I used to, I'd watch his mind, and he still has that. Mind. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He still yeah. has that. Oh, yeah, he's very quick still. Yeah, I love being around him. So I guess before we, we wrap up, I know, you know, again, I apologize for uh, for the time mis- uh, miscommunication, but uh, so what, what, it, marriage, you believe in it? Well, obviously, I've been in enough yeah. <laughs> six, seven marriage. I can't even lost count. Eight, but, I think, one no, twice, not, right? Seven, one twice. Okay. But I never live with a woman. 
I never liked spending a night with a woman. I liked to go home. Uh-huh. And if I was in love, I got married because uh-huh. that's where I was raised. And I always felt when I meet people who are married like 60 years, yeah. all the compromises they had to make. Yeah. All, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So what I loved at 20 is not what I loved at 30. And what I loved at 30 is not what I loved at 40. Uh-huh. And sometimes I think back to people that I loved. What was I thinking? Uh-huh. But I was crazy for them then. Uh-huh. And in that time when I grew up, you got married. Now, this marriage has lasted 16 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maturity. Maybe the difference in ages. The fact that she was in show business. What'd she do? She was a singer and uh-huh. actress. And she uh-huh. appeared in a lot of... She opened for Rickles. And oh, Vegas. yeah. Oh, very good singer. and she was. So she understood that if I had to go somewhere to do an extra interview, uh-huh. you know, she had her own show on USA Network. So she knew the business. Years. Yeah, yeah. knew the business, which helped. She was a backup singer for the Osmonds. And uh-huh. Her father ran Capitol Records. So even though, like, they're devout Mormons, yeah. they're also very showbiz. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they understand sure. the business, which helps. Makes, yeah, helps. Yeah. Makes life a lot easier. And then having kids, of course. Look at it. I look up at that picture. That's yeah, adorable. Yeah, that's you- when they were three and two, I guess. Uh-huh. So you got no, no regrets, Mr. No, we King? go to Dodger Stadium, and they know that stadium. They've been going there since babies. Mm-hmm. They know it like the back of the hand. No oh, rushes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there they run around. You know, That's sit great. Down, they go to different seats. They sure. sit behind the dugout of the visiting team, and uh-huh. they, they yell at the other players. It's great. It's great life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Any regrets? Uh, regrets. Um. If I had one day back in my life, the day I started smoking. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry I smoked. That's not too, that's not too horrible. And out, yeah. of, out of all the powerful people you met? Uh, Couldn't name one. Uh, but I mean, were you ever surprised? Like, let's talk presidents real quick and then we'll finish up. Who surprised you the most as a person, both for better or worse, out of the seven or uh, six? Well, seven? Go, I'll run them down. Yeah. Nixon, so yeah. bright, yeah. and yet hung up. Yeah, little things yeah. bug him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, George Bush the first, yeah. the best guy in the world. Yeah, nicest, sweetest, care about you. Yeah, concerned guy. George Bush too, great baseball guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he invited me to the White House once. Yeah, off the record. Yeah. just no interviews, no yeah. nothing. We sat down for two hours yeah. to talk baseball. Yeah. Let's talk baseball. That was then it. I had just co- gotten to Washington. So he says, hey, I got to go to California. You want a lift? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, no, I just got here. He <laughs> said, oh, jeez, we could have talked baseball for now. You love talking baseball, that guy. Hours. Reagan for his uh, humor. Uh-huh. And uh, the best of all, from an interview standpoint, is Clinton with Steel Trap Mine. I like Jimmy Carter for his, his um, he, how much he cared about little things in detail. Uh, Gerald Ford was a great guy, just a good guy. There's something to like about everyone. Yeah. Obama for his mind, uh-huh. like like Obama's mind, uh-huh. and his uh, he's so well within himself. Mm-hmm. By that I mean he he's very innered in himself. Mm-hmm. He's not going to wrap his arms around you. Mm-hmm. Clinton's going to hug you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I liked them all for different reasons. The most uh, incredible. 
person probably was Mandela. Yeah. Uh, because he was such a single, solitary, incredible figure and mm -hmm. still around. And mm -hmm. I had a, one of the great days of my life was I went to his house. I was in South Africa, a speaking tour, and I went to his house for lunch and I had dinner with the clerk, mm -hmm. the man who freed him. Mm -hmm. So here's little Larry, yeah. little Jewish kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm with Mandela yeah. and the clerk yeah. on the same day. <laughs> But I was at Jackie Robinson's first game, and I interviewed him. And so I've lived through through history, and uh, and I've been on this journey. I wrote a book called My Remarkable Journey, and I pinch myself, I pinch myself every day. I was on relief as a kid. My father died in New York City, bought my first pair of glasses. So I sit around and look at me. And yet I'll, you know, I'll complain if the plane is late. <laughs> what am I doing? I gotta run. All right, thanks, Mr. Thanks, King. Man. Yep. Anytime. Yep.